Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespasses against us. And lead us not into temptation, but there is some evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, can everybody hear okay before I get started so I'm not distracted? Thumbs up? Okay, perfect. Um, so we're going to read, we're going to read through, um, chapters three and four, which are not actually very long. Um, I'm only revisiting three because I'm linking three and four, um, in a particular way. I know when Joseph did three last week, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going back a little bit to link it. Um, so forgive me, uh, like for, for re-going through that. And it's definitely not for lack of, uh, uh, attention that when I gave it. Um, okay, we'll dive right in. Um, just a reminder, so chapters, this, this epistle is father talking to his kids. We're going to see St. Paul really laid in hard. Um, and there's going to be multiple places where he gets, um, very sarcastic um so don't be uh taken aback by that um but now he's getting into corinth so the first two chapters he spoke a little bit generally about division um now he's getting a little bit more into um the specifics um it's going to get much more specific starting from chapter five on actually um but this is still getting more than me before so without further ado Chapter three and four. But I, brethren, could not address you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even yet you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving like ordinary men? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are equal, and each shall receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. 
Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So let no one boast of men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all this to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? Already you are filled. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are held in honor, but we in dishonor, disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are ill-clad and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become and are now as the refuse of the world, the offscouring of all things. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Therefore, I sent to you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or, or with love, in a spirit of gentleness? Grace of God the Father be with you all. Amen. Okay. So, we'll go through this. Um, and hopefully, uh, again, this, this, this epistle I really like. It's a tough epistle pastorally. The Romans was tough dogmatically. This one is a tough one pastorally. It's going to get even juicier. And he starts talking about women and their role in the church. Um, I hope I'm traveling those weeks. Um, but um, let's, let's, let's get into it. So the first section right away is cutting deep because he starts off this, this, this chapter by saying, you guys aren't spiritual. 
And, and keep in mind that actually what St. Paul is doing a lot in this epistle is quoting back to them things they were saying about themselves. Okay? So there's a lot of places where actually... Um, uh, oh, Bonajo's here. So there's a lot of places um, where what he's saying is saying back things that they were saying back to them. And so they, the Corinthians, were referring to themselves as a spiritual people, as spirit-filled people. And so St. Paul is now retorting, no, you're not. Or that clearly having the Holy Spirit in you is not enough for you to call yourself spiritual. He's saying, because people who are the Spirit don't behave like you do. So he starts off by saying, listen, guys, I can't address you as spiritual people, but as earthly people, as infants in Christ. And so he's actually, he's putting them in their place saying, I gave you milk. Like if you think what you have is deep, no, I'm sorry. What I gave you actually was extremely superficial. This was just the bare minimum to keep you sustained and alive. It's not meat. Because you're, you weren't ready for meat, he says, and even now, you are still not ready because you're still fleshly. You're still not, re- not spiritual. Because, he says in verse 3, so long as there's jealousy and strife among you and you're acting like anybody else in the world, how can you call yourself spiritual? Especially when one person says, I belong to Paul, and another saying, I belong to Apollos, he's like, is that not the evidence? Is that not the evidence that you guys are not spiritual? Okay? Because in, in, in chapter 2, he had started making that connection between cross and wisdom, between cross and spirit. That was, the, that was what chapter 2, what we had ended about two weeks ago. Okay? And he was saying that a spirituality that's not built on the cross is not real spirituality. Because even the Holy Spirit points at the cross. And he's saying that the shape of a servant, the life of a servant is shaped around the cross. That's what he says. And so he's coming back to saying that that's not what you are. You're not spirit people. You're flesh people. You are not governed by the cross. You're governed by your egos. And that's why you have jealousy. That's why you have factions. That's why you're, you're team Apollo, you're team Paul, you're team Peter. And then as we saw a couple of weeks ago, and some of you are team Jesus apparently. Um, so he's saying whatever that means, that, that's not real. And this, this is the problem today. Okay. Again, I'm going to try as much as we can with Corinthians to bring it back. I think a lot of us today present ourselves as spiritual clergy, non-clergy alike, all of us. And so we present ourselves as spiritual as though we're presenting meat to the people and to one another, and to the world, and it's milk. But we're acting like it's meat, and we're speaking like it's meat. And so St. Paul is saying, but aren't you secular? Aren't you actually secular? That's an honest question we need to ask ourselves. I'm asking myself. I'm not just throwing it out to you guys, right? So the Corinthians were taking, um, as we saw earlier, social gospels, is what they're guilty of. They're taking social gospels 
and they were trying to reconcile the real gospel to the secular, and they were doing that confidently. What does that look like in modern language? When we say things like, of course, right? Of course the church believes X, insert whatever the social gospel is. And then the person from the church will start searching through the gospel, searching through the fathers, searching through liturgy, searching through tradition to say, let me show you how the church agrees with you. This is what the Corinthians were doing. And I think that's what we also do today. And so the problem is that when spiritual immaturity is taught as if it's spiritual maturity, your end result, just look at the world, nobody believes you. The church believes. People walk out in droves because they're finding out that what they're being fed is not real. Amba Pachomius, um, the person who was the vicar to the, he was the, um, the locum tenens as patriarch after the proposal of his holiness, Pope Shenandoah III. During my 40 days in the monastery, um, we had the blessing a group of us to go sit with him. And he really threw me for a loop with what he said. He was reminiscing. He used to be part of a lot of ecumenical dialogues and he traveled the world a lot in the 60s and in the 70s. And he brought up St. Mark's LA, actually. Um, and he was like, you know, he's saying, he said to us, he goes, can I ask you guys, please, can you try and offer meat to the people? Can you actually try and have depths to your spirituality and not try and teach people superficially? He goes, you know, when I was in St. Mark's, Los Angeles, there's a Sikh temple beside it. And there is. I served there for a little bit. Those of you from L.A. will know it. Right. And he goes, he goes, I went to visit it. He goes, and that temple is run almost entirely by converts. He goes, and they have a system in the Sikh temple where they have to read their scripture 24-7. He goes, so I'm seeing these white people, not these people from India that you're expecting, stereotypically when you go there, who are taking turns to make sure that scripture is read 24-7. He goes, why do you think that they are there? And so you would think that he was going to have something negative to say. He's like, it's because they're looking for something deep. And they didn't find it in Christianity. And they went looking for it and they found something that looked deep over here. He goes, same thing in Australia. I went to visit Australia and the priest told me, can you go visit this couple because they left the church? I went to visit because they're Buddhists. I went in and there was no furniture because they were very ascetic. They wanted something deep and they couldn't find it, right? And that's what happens when we present our milk. If you haven't gone into the depths of the spirit, you might be presenting milk as though it's meat. And then somebody who's being authentic in their search will look at you and say, that's not real. That's not real. That's scary. That's, that's very, very scary. And this is what St. Paul is, is confronting them with saying, that thing that you're doing, it's not real. And keep in mind, he's speaking to a community that is speaking in tongues, doing gifts of healing, prophesying. We're going to see that later on. And he's saying, even though you have the Holy Spirit, you are not spiritual. Your behavior betrays you. 
because you're jealous and you're divisive. And I don't think I've seen a time in our church, I mean, I'm not very old, but this is a divisive time in the church. And if St. Paul is warning the Corinthians, your divisiveness is a sign of your lack of spirituality, that God have mercy on us. Okay? With milk, we see things more as law and order on one extreme. So these are the two extremes of milk. Okay? Those who only want a system. This is an azam, this is the order, this is the rights, this is the rubrics, this is it, period. That's one extreme. And the other extreme of it is these esoteric, secular on the other side where everything is like touchy-feely and like, um, you know, like you could say that it's kind of like that and, and like that kind of beach talk. Um, but the more one approaches meat, the more one approaches real spirituality, the less one is ruled by one's own mind and the more one is ruled by the mind of Christ crucified, the cruciform shape of the service of our lives. This is why St. Paul says that the divisions are a sign of their immaturity because it's not crucifying the self for truth. And instead, if I can take him a little bit further and have that boldness, is crucifying others for oneself. That's what he's saying, right? And I think that's the global platform that, that we're taking today. Oh, let me kill everybody else who doesn't think like me instead of letting myself be killed for the gospel, for the truth. I wonder out loud, I wonder did the Corinthians stop and ask whether they were eating meat? I don't know. Do you, right? Do you actually desire spiritual growth and maturity actively? Or is that just an esoteric concept? And do you whine and complain, not accusing anyone, but do you whine and complain whenever you get indigestion from switching to meat. Because you have to learn how to digest meat. It doesn't happen naturally, right? That's why babies aren't born and we give them like a piece of steak the next day. You can't. They can't. They have to learn how to deal with solids. And even then they have some problems at the beginning. So there's, but do you get upset the minute you have indigestion? Like, no, 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 give me back the milk. Give me back the milk. I want formula. Right? That, if, if that's what we live in, that's where we live in. So let's return the, to the loyalty issue that he's going to talk about again with what team do you support? Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? And this is, shows you how concentrated St. Paul always is on truth. His answer, we're servants. We're just servants through whom you believed. That's all Paul is. That's all Apollos is. I planted, Apollos watered. Sure. But God gave the growth. The work is God's. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are equal. And each shall receive his wages according to his labor. He didn't stop and say, out of figure, just so you know, just I taught Apollos. 
he's saying, no, Paulus and I are equals. No problem. We're fellow laborers. I don't care who did this, who did that. We're equals. This is God's field, God's building. God's emphasis, God. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not Pope Tawadros's. It wasn't Pope Shenouda's. It's not Abuna Metta's. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not Abuna Ap's. It's not Amba Sarabin's. It's not Amba Buddha's. It's not Amba Mina. It's not Ankit Fulan and Pant Fulana. It is God's. Okay? That's to whom it belongs. According to the grace of God given to me, as a master builder, I laid a foundation and another man built on it. He's like, yeah, I'm a worker. He's a worker. I happen to be the guy who laid the foundation. This other guy is coming and he's building on it. Let everybody build. Because the foundation is already laid. There's only one foundation and that is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on top of it, whether gold, silver, precious stones, jewels, wood, hay, straw, that work is going to be made manifest because there's going to be a day of reckoning, a day of fire, when it goes up in flame. And it's the flame that's going to reveal the quality of the work. This flame that he's talking about, okay? So now what, he, what, what he's trying to do, um, and so he says that whatever survives the fire survives, and that guy gets a reward in that his building survived. Another one who doesn't, he suffers loss, but, I mean, he's not going to die, right? Unless he's in the building, he's not going to die, um, and he suffers. And I'm going to explain that analogy in a second. But Paul, what he's trying to do right now, St. Paul, is he's trying to reform the Corinthian understanding of ministry. And consequently, their understanding of the church. Okay? Because he's trying to take what to the Corinthians was an anthropocentric, a man-centered, that is our society today, a human-centered. We, we have grown up in the West as humanists. Whether we like it or not, we are all affected by humanism. And there can be a proper application of it, but there's a very wrong understanding that I think many of us are influenced by. And he's saying, no, this is not a human-centered church. It is not an anthropocentric church. It is a theocentric church, and specifically a Christocentric church. Our, our center, our life, our core is from God, from, from Jesus Christ, not from man, because the Corinthians were approaching it inside out. And so consequently, he's saying, so you need to understand this church isn't yours, this church isn't mine, this church is God's. And so this building that exists is yours. Because when he talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit in these chapters that we're reading, he doesn't mean it the way we usually use that verse yet. He does mean it that way soon in this epistle, but he doesn't yet in this epistle, okay? And so he's saying that servants, as a result, don't work for themselves. That's why Paul started this by saying, you know, like, this isn't, this isn't mine. I have a boss, you know, and I'm going to have to answer to him. So I'm supposed to do my work over here. And so what he's saying then is that it's not about death that he's talking about. In this analogy he's giving in the building, he's saying this building that we're building is God. The foundation is God. Okay? And so this building is God, and the servants who work on building this house are God's. Everything is God. So he's saying, so if someone, if some servant is laying a wrong foundation of the, like, the physical work, or an amazing one, it is God 
not these fighting Corinthians who will expose, judge, or justify anyone. All the servants are builders on that foundation because the foundation wasn't the work of man. The foundation itself, the core itself, is Jesus Christ himself. So he's saying, okay, so if you've built this house, time is going to show the, the, the quality of this building, right? It's like when you, why people buy in, are, are nervous to buy a no-name versus a brand name. Because the no-name brand, theoretically, if it's bad, is not what you get if you want something to last. Because you're like, no, 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 I got it from here. I know that it's going to go bad within a, a month or two or a year or two. I want to get the brand name because I know that one's going to last for a long time. Right? And so St. Paul is saying the same of this building. If you've built it poorly, it's not going to withstand wind. It's not going to withstand heat. It's not going to withstand pressure. If I build a staircase badly, once the first heavier person walks on it, it breaks down. That, that's terrible work. You want to hire the guy who did a, a, a good staircase that can tolerate real traffic. And so St. Paul is saying there's a day of reckoning where this building is going to be lit up. Whether the day of the Lord at the end of your life or because time itself forced it, this is what's happening right now. Let's be real. Some people, because of COVID, have had a faith crisis. To me, and I'm not excusing myself, that's a big question mark on what was the faith given to these people. What was given? What were the foundations laid? This is exactly what St. Paul is saying. What is it that you laid down that's making people question at the first sight of calamity? Because that's exactly what he's saying. Calamity, trouble, problems expose the quality of the building. And that's what proves the work of the servant. That's what proves it. That's exactly what St. Paul is saying. And he's saying, so, you know, fire purifies metals, destroyed wooden straw. Fire is going to burn all of that down. It's all going to go. And what remains is what's pure. That's the remnant that remains. And he's saying the fire is going to show who's real, who's actually spiritual, and who's there for show or decoration or whatever that it is, which is really scary. I don't know whether, whether I'd be burnt up well, personally. Right? So... He's saying that's what it is. So if someone's work has survived that fire, that's a testimony to how good that person's work was. That's why St. Paul's going to say, judge me all you want. I really don't care. You can stand outside this building and be like, oh, wow, it's pretty. Or you can stand outside and be like, that's the most hideous building I've ever seen. And Paul's saying, I don't care. I'm not even judging it. I'm just working. There's going to be a fire that will judge. God will judge me. It's not you. And he goes, not even me. I don't even judge myself. Right? That's, that's God's work. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit with that part. And so he's saying that the guy who did a horrible job is going to escape only by the skin of his teeth because the fire devoured his building. Let's hope he runs out of there alive, is what he's saying. Because um, some people use this as some kind of way to, to talk about purgatory. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with purgatory. This is an, just an analogy he's giving to explain the work. So furthermore, Paul is saying that the person who makes the judgment is God. And so the Corinthians having this big fight is actually stupid and useless because it's not for anyone, including the apostle himself, he says, to judge. What Paul is emphasizing is that each person 
has to do work. Paul recognizes his own gifts and is using them. Do you? Do you work hard to use your gifts? Because we have this weird culture of like acknowledging that that I might have a gift is somehow like a lack of humility. And that's why St. Paul is like, no, that's not the problem. The problem that he's going to get into is, is that if you think a gift is, is, is something you came up with, the problem is not having a gift. But do you use that gift? And do you use it for the edification of the building? Right? Edifice in French means the building. Do you use it for the edification, for the building up of the building, which is the church, which is you and I? Or do you waste your time judging how others are or aren't using theirs? If so, he's saying, I'm sorry, buddy, you're still nursing. That's St. Paul, not me. Okay? Do you get jealous and affiliate with certain people or yourself? There is no room for jealousy, is what St. Paul is saying, if, if you're eating meat. And if we are, if we are jealous, we should be repentant. It means, jealousy means we forgot what this was all about, okay? And I really, forgive me for social commenting too much, but I want us to realize how relevant Corinthians is today. Do you evaluate servants based on the number of likes they get? Or retweets or attendees at their Zoom meetings? They're not measures of service. They are not measures of service, right? Um, so I was trying to think of examples for this to, to drive it home. I was having a rap fight with a friend of mine from California. I don't know how to rap, but whatever. It was just like a fun thing we were doing. Um, and I got to admit, the dude had superior skill, okay? But what, what I was thinking about during our rap war is that I, I prided myself in the meaning of what I was saying. And so, I mean, they were all cheesy. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that the, the question that it made me ask is, do we look for the words that somebody is preaching or the presentation? Because that is the Corinthian problem. Right? Am I like, oh wow, that guy's got an amazing like post and they said it like this, blah, blah, blah. or is it the meat of what they're saying? Another example. Um, back in like 2001, 2002, during early youth service, like revamp in, in my home church, there's a guy in our group that had a totally same age as me, totally different style than me. I was that like happy go lucky. I was actually really annoying when I showed up at a meeting because I was as immature as the kids, okay? But um, one of my servants is on here and I actually remember him wanting to throat me. But I was like the friendly guy, you can call me and, and like the, the advocate. There's this other guy in our group that was the whole like, for the love of God, um, like shoving truth down their throats um, and calling people out. And I remember internally thinking, dude, like haram aleik, collect yourself. Like, like, why are you so aggressive? Why are you so mean? Who would want to talk to you? And I would think these things. And then I saw a whole group totally responsive to that. Totally responsive to that. That made me ask the question of, 
why am I criticizing or evaluating him? That's not my work. And, and, and he, is, he is building. He is also building. And clearly, people are being responsive to him. Good. Great. Like, why should I be upset by that? Right? And why should I compare myself to that? What is the point of the comparison? The comparison means that I'm not eating meat. It means that I'm looking for a social gospel. Um, even within the monastery, I, I, like monastery is my homeland, okay? These monks that like played a big, 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 like big role in, 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 in raising me, okay? I saw a monk who is solitary, reads like crazy, doesn't joke much. He's a saint in his own right. I saw him with my own eyes, call birds, just call them, just say, come here. And they came, landed in his feet, at his hand, sorry, and said, do you want to? And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. Um, and I'm just like, he's like, call them. I called, <laughs> they did not respond. <laughs> so he's like, so he told them, go to him. And they came right away, right into my hand. And yet people criticize him as, He's this, he's that, another thing. He has his vices. Same monastery, another priest, totally solitary, doesn't joke, doesn't talk, in a cell, not in a cave. Cool. And then another priest who's totally socially there, he's like always joking around, pulling practical pranks, um, not afraid to say anything, zero filter. They're different styles. They're all different styles. And each of them is discipling others, all three. Are discipling others, right? It's like trying to compare Abu Nabishoy Kamil, the famous saint, right? The guy who held on to the back of a car to prevent a girl from converting to Islam, okay? And Abu Nabishoy Salantoni, who can't stand the sight of human beings up in his face. They're two different people, they're two different styles. And if we pit them all against one another, we're milk, okay? We're milk. So here's the mark of the true servant. He or she sees everything as from and for God. Service and community fall apart. Services and communities, I repeat, fall apart when they're not about Christ anymore. The minute they're not about Christ, the church crumbles, period. Because you're building on, as St. Paul is talking about, a different foundation. Game over. Because he is the only solid foundation. Build it on something else, head to head. Verse 16. Sorry to spend a long time on that. I think that was the longest part I was going to spend on. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that temple you are. Okay? So he's saying the church is God's project. It's God's property, God's project, God's building. And he's saying, and God is capable, thank you very much for trying to help him. God knows how to avenge himself. Anyone who tries to destroy God's temple deals with God because it is his. Okay? The implicit threat in these verses is going to become, is become from the previous verses, became very explicit in 16 through 17. Because he's saying that this general architectural image, that image he gave of this building being built, he's saying, now take this a step further. It's a sacred one. 
It's God's building. This is not just a building that the master builder is working on. It's now he's saying it's God's. And he's saying, don't you know? By, by saying that, he's saying sarcastically, like, if you really knew this, you wouldn't act in this way. It's a challenge to them. Um, that God not only owns the church, taking it a step further, God not only owns the church, God inhabits the church. And that every member of the church, that you, the people, compose and comprise the church, God dwells in that. And so now he's taking this even further to say, I'm not just talking about a physical building, guys. When you destroy the work of God through your division, through your jealousy, through your envy, through your strife, will God not avenge his church? That's what I'm saying. This, this part of the of the the temple of the Holy Spirit means something different than how we usually use it at this part. It means how we usually use it later on in this epistle. Okay. This is scary because he's saying if the building is destroyed, which could be the outcome of the divisions. He's not talking about the outsiders, he's talking about the insiders. Then the supposed builders, these people in Corinth that are supposed to be building the church. He's saying, do you not know, that you're becoming a desecrator? That's what's scary. That's what's very scary. That our divisiveness as Christians is actually possibly an act of desecration of the Holy Church. That's, that's heavy. That's very, very heavy. Okay? And I think this happens a lot. Right? We get caught up in our own ideas and services and we forget whose church it is and that the building is not the church. The church has a building, but the building is not the church. And we need buildings. There's no problem that we have buildings. But the people are the church. Where the people gather, that is Eucharist. That is why the church can have be a church in a home. And have Eucharist and live Eucharistically. Why, if the government were to shut down churches tomorrow, which it could, and say you don't subscribe to this social agenda, you can operate as a as a nonprofit. I, I I see that coming. That that's a possibility. The church hasn't lost because we're still the church. And so, are we desecrators or are we builders? And are we boasting being spiritual? That the Corinthians, despite all this, we're saying this is why Paul is ripping them one, right? of saying that you're desecrating the church and causing the people to go astray. That's true of bishops, priests, laity, men, women. Are we profaning the, the, the temple? Like this chapter scared me, to be honest with you, preparing where I'm like, I need to re-examine. Ask yourself when you serve, and you're all servants, is this about Christ? If you get upset at something the service, ask, am I trying to avenge the temple for Christ? Which I don't even need to do. God can do it himself, as St. Paul is saying. Or am I avenging me? Am I upset about God's honor, really? Or about my dignity or my friend's dignity? Because St. Paul is saying, that's not what this is about. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. Don't, don't kid yourselves. He's saying, if any one of you thinks you're wise in this age, that the Corinthians did, become a fool 
Become stupid so that you can become smart. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. Um, and he quotes some stuff. Um, he's like, because everything is yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. I'm not going to spend a long time there. I want to challenge whether you see yourself as wiser than the wisdom of the gospel. When someone challenges you to live the gospel, how do you react? I've been at discussions, Christian discussions, where when someone says, turn the other cheek, somebody's response is, yeah, but I don't want to be seen as a pushover. Right? Which wisdom are you looking for? Or, but then they might not know that I have something to offer. Whose merit are you looking for? But they don't see this about me. What wisdom? What wisdom? What's the wisdom that you're using? Secular wisdom or spiritual wisdom? If you need to assert yourself at meetings and in service to make sure people know something about you, then you're not okay with the wisdom of the gospel. Then you're not okay with the wisdom of the gospel. If you felt bothered that somebody didn't hear you, not the gospel, you. We all have to ask. And we've all, I, like, I, I've done that. I can definitely say I've, I've done that. Okay, so I'm not just here to point out how messed up everyone is. I, I do all of these things, not just past tense. This is a normal warfare for all of us. But I don't think we always think about what it means, those, what, those, what those warfares mean, okay? Whenever you see the gospel as weakness, wherever, here's a better way of saying it, wherever you have a however to the gospel, that's a sign. There should never be a however to what the gospel says. The minute there's a however, examine yourself. This is how one should regard us, St. Paul, verse chapter 4. As servants, we're servants of the mystery, and stewards of the mystery of God. Um, and stewards need to be trustworthy. And then he says what we already talked about a little bit. So I'm not going to rehash it. He's like, honestly, to me, I don't really care. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He's like, I, I don't really care. I don't care how you view me. I don't need to justify myself to you. I, as a matter of fact, do not even judge myself. Verse three, verse four. And, he, and, he, and he's very honest. He goes, he goes, you know, honestly, I'm not really been aware of anything I've done wrong. And he goes, but that doesn't vindicate me either. Just because I don't know that I've done something wrong doesn't mean that I haven't done or I'm not doing something wrong. God will judge me. He will judge me. He's like, therefore, don't, be, don't judge before the time. Before the Lord comes, will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purpose of the heart. Then every man will receive his commendation from God. So to reinforce what he's saying to the critics, okay, St. Paul is further developing the notion that a minister as a servant is a steward, which had a real social meaning back then. Um, it's In Greek, it's ekonomos, okay, which is in Arabic, and the reason why I'm saying that is because that's what a hegumen is of a monastery. That's actually the formal title of a spiritual father 
is mudabber, economia, right? It's, 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 that's his role. And so it had a very particular, and what it literally is, is a household manager. He's just my man, he's my manager to bring the stewardship out. And stewards are supposed to be trustworthy. And so St. Paul is saying, I want the master to find me trustworthy. That's who I'm concerned about, how he judges me. Am I faithful or not faithful? But he doesn't care about the humans. This reminds me, um, like when I hear steward of, of, of Lord of the Rings, I'm a, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, is that the steward of Gondor, for those of you who've seen Lord of the Rings, is not the king of Gondor. And he functions from the place of the throne, but he does not inhabit the throne. And that is why the bishop in the Orthodox Church typifies the real king of Gondor, the Lord of Hosts. And that is why there is supposed to be a throne, an episcopal throne in every church that signifies first and foremost the throne of God. And that by whom it is inhabited by the bishop as the image of Christ, not as his own image, as the ikonomos. That's who he is. It's very deep when you understand the imagery that's there. It's actually very, very, very beautiful. Unfortunately, we associate it now with authority and thrones and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what it's there for. Um, it's not flexing. And so Paul convicts himself. He's like, I'm just a steward. This is not my church. It's not yours. It's God's. I'm a steward. A real servant views himself as a steward, not as king. And he's convicting himself, but he's saying, let's not waste our time judging. It's not arrogance. That's why he's like, it's not arrogance. I'm not even saying there's nothing wrong with me. There might be lots wrong with me. Just because I don't know, it doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with me. He's saying, but that's not why we're here. He's saying, let's live crucified. My conscience is clear. I'm trying to live crucified. Um, so, and, and this is, is, is a good thing to dwell on because I think some people struggle with um, this self-judging thing too. Not just the judging others, but self-judging. Sometimes people spend their lives in guilt and self-questioning in a negative way. So they, they view God in the world with, with dismal eyes. And I'm going to laugh here because I don't mean to criticize anyone in particular. I know there's someone who thinks I'm talking about them. But the anathem, right? I'm, I'm filth. I'm mud. I'm scum. I'm a sinner. I'm garbage. I'm this. And we have a lot of spiritual songs to reinforce this. Um, and so, like, um, <laughs> there's one I don't even want to sing because it gets stuck in my head. And there's a monk who intentionally sings it every visit to the monastery to get it stuck in my head. Well, I'm not saying that this is horrible, you're not bad or whatever. I'm just saying, why live there? Why live there? Why live walking around of, oh, but I'm filth, oh, but I'm scum, and I am dirt, and I do not merit even for the shadow to walk by me. You know, honestly, that's helpful sometimes when we're struggling with arrogance. But, but that's not how to live. Imagine if with your spouse or your, your parents, let's say you messed up, you're going to mess up. I've messed up tons. I'm not married, thank God, for, for any, any other human being. But I've messed up tons with my bishop, with servants, with priests, with friends, with family. And imagine if every time I go to approach my friends, I'm just like, oh, please, no, I'm disgusting. Walk away. Please, please, no, I'm gross. Do not come near me. Seriously, like, get a grip, right? Like, 
the person won't even know how to be normal around you anymore. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Whenever I smile, he cries, right? So it's like we don't need to walk around in that extreme either. Right, so not only to not walk around of like, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm all that. This, this is what Saint Paul's saying. Not, I'm all that in a bag of chips, and not, I am scum of the earth and scour beneath thy feet. And who am I that thou should look upon me? I, the filth, wretched. Okay, no, right. That has a place, but don't live in this extreme. Don't live in this extreme. Okay, that's not what that's not what we do here. Verse six. I have applied all of this to myself and Apollos. Because I'm your leaders. This is how we're living. We're just stewards. So you can learn from us not to go beyond your scope of practice. Play in your lane, he's saying. Stay in your lane. Um, don't be puffed up in favor of one against the other. He's like, me and Apollos, we're not fighting. You guys are fighting about us, but actually we're not. Right? Um for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? This is the gifts part. Why do you, if you received it, if this is a gift that you have, why are you boasting as if it were not a gift? The perfect sum of the message so far, divisiveness is wrong. Divisiveness or divisiveness, I don't know how to say it, especially based on arrogance is messed up. Nobody with any kind of gift didn't receive it. That's what makes a gift a gift, is that it was given to you. A child boasting, for example, that he is rich because he lives in a big house, forgets that the child is not himself rich, but made rich. Nothing is actually his or from himself. He didn't buy the house. He just lives in it. Keep vigil over yourself for any sign of arrogance. Arrogance is the, like one of the biggest problems of our time. Okay? Watch when you speak who you attribute any truth to. Ask yourself that regularly. When you speak, are you presenting things as though you were the source of that truth? Because that's, that's the biggest sign. And I think we're guilty of a lot of it. A lot of us, I've done this tons. This is why I always say, quote, but it's not true because I always say it. Truth is true because it comes from him if that's the truth. And I'm guilty of this. I say that a lot, right? It's, a, it's, become, it's become a thing. It's not right, okay? It has nothing to do with me. Instead, maybe we could all practice saying, this is why it is true that the Lord taught, or this is why it's true what we received, such and such. Practice that. Practice it actually with your language to correct yourself when you said something as though you're the source, even if it's not what you meant. But practice it, right? Practice it so that we develop that humility of speech, because if we have humility in speech, it'll be humility of mind when we brought attention to it, which will lead to humility of practice which we could all use myself first and foremost. I'm first and foremost extremely arrogant, and I know it. Pray for me. Um, if it's not God, it's misdirected. Whether at self or another, not just at myself, even if it's about another person. If I'm moved by something a saint 
does, it's still God's work, right? Like when I saw this, this living saint, like calling birds to his hand, he was surprised that I was surprised because to him it was, didn't God give us dominion over the animals? Not why are you surprised I'm at level 10 spirituality, right? It was, why are you surprised that things are as they were designed? Didn't God design them like that? That was where he was coming from. Mind blown to me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. I just, I don't usually pet birds. Anyways, um, verse eight, this is where he gets ultra sarcastic. Um, I used to think this was him being nice and I didn't realize he was actually being really mean here. He's being ultra sarcastic where he was like, oh, wow. Already you're filled. Good for you. You're apparently amazing. Already you're rich. And he's like, and you know what? Without us, without any of these apostles, without any gifts, without any help, without any preaching, bravo, you've become kings. And he goes, oh, and I wish you guys were really kings because we could reign with you because actually, as he's meant to say, our life sucks. So if we get to be part of this kingdom, like bonus to us. And he goes, because you know what? God has exhibited us as apostles, us that were sent out as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. This means something so culturally that I think is missed in our generation that we don't realize what he's saying. St. Paul, remember when we were giving the intro to Corinthians, we talked about this mega theater that they have, the games that were second only to the Olympics. There was always, uh, we are on verse, uh, we just did eight through nine, for the person who just asked what verse we're on is that he's talking about being on display, he says, um, as last of all, meaning at the end of the procession, in the theater that they're used to, this live theater that they have in Corinth, they'd be used to a procession. The Greeks were big on processions. Actually, in the, in the, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, we stole processions from the Greek. That wasn't actually a big thing in, in Coptic ritual. That was a very Roman Greek thing. And so they'd have these processions. Um, and the person in charge of games and amphitheaters would exhibit the gladiators at the very end who were going to battle wild beasts as the main spectacle. This is what St. Paul is saying. He goes, you're boasting. Us apostles, we're end of the procession. We're the gladiators. We're the show. We're the spectacle. We're the ones put up against wild beasts and ripped apart and killed and tortured while you sit watching the show like kings and queens. It's heavy talk. Like that, when I understood that that's what he was saying, like, wow, that, that, that stinks. Right? That's what he's saying to them. He goes, yeah, I don't know who you guys think you are, but that's not what we do. We're out here getting killed. Verse 10, we are fools. We're fools for Christ. You? Oh, you're wise in Christ. You're, you're, you're blowing these trumpets of local social wisdom with your Stoic wisdom and your like Socratic, whatever it is, that's whatever school you belong to. It's not mine. I'm a fool, and I'm happy to be a fool. We are weak 
we're dying out here, but you're strong. Well, well done. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. Everyone speaks badly of us. To this very minute that I write this epistle, we're hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we work, working with our own hands. Remember that Paul's a tent maker. When put down, we bless. Persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try and make peace. We have become and are now as the refuse of the world. Pardon my language right now. I know that I can get in a lot of trouble for saying this on the air, but I'm going to say it. St. Paul in his own day is using a choice four-letter French word here. When he says we are refuse, he's saying we become your excrement. That's what we are. This is bold language. Very, very... Is there something else I can help with? Apparently Google thinks I'm talking to her. Sorry. So this is very, very bold language. Thank you, Google. Um, no problem. So we need to think about <laughs> whether that's your living witness. Are you whining about the very things that Paul is boasting in right now? They don't like us. They treat us badly. They think this and this and this and this. So he's reinforcing, reinforcing that the servant is to die. The servant is this cruciform image. That's why this whole series is called the cruciform love of life of, of the cross of love. What's your image of living the gospel? Getting into med school? Doing well on your SATs? Getting a good job? Finding the perfect spouse? being more brilliant, being adored, being respected, having status in the community, whether the church community or sector community. I'm not commenting on the goodness or badness of those things. I'm saying, is that what you think the gospel is? Because it's not. Right? Because I actually think a lot of Coptic, a lot of Orthodox in general criticize the, the prosperity gospel, but believe in it still. Right, So they might criticize the whole, um, a good Christian will be filthy rich. But I think a lot of us still believe that. Where it's like, Inta, you didn't get your Jew on your interview? You know why? Because you didn't go to liturgy. Inta, if you fast Wednesday and Friday, God willing, you're going to get into med school. And mark my words. What does it have to do with anything? Actually, what Paul is saying is... <laughs> Life monumentally sucks right now. And I do it gladly. And I do it gladly. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but he did. No offense, St. Paul. But to admonish you, <laughs> um, he, what he's saying is, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm rebuking you as my children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you to imitate me. Therefore, I've sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child. Lord, to remind you of, of, of my ways in Christ as I teach from everywhere in every church. And he goes, now some of you are very arrogant and are talking 
like I'm not coming home. Right? He's saying this is like two siblings got in a fight, right? And one of them knows he's wrong. And so the other brother is being like, Baba's gonna come home and I'm gonna tell him. And the older brother, whoever is 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 both being like, I don't really care. And he's like, Oh, let's see how that serves you when I come home. Cause I am gonna come home. And let's see whether you stand on the I don't care if I if I challenge you. Um but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. Which reminds me of Job and his friends. We're like, there's a lot of talk here. There's a lot of talk in the name of God. And there's going to be a confrontation. For the kingdom of God is not consistent talk, but in power. What do you want? Do you want me to come to you with discipline or with love in the spirit of gentleness? Um, so again, as we mentioned in the first talk, the intro... The context of this is Paul is their father. So Paul has every right, this is not arrogance, to say, I am the one who gave birth to you. I am your father, and I have rights as a father. And I have the authority to speak to you as a father. And so, yes, you have many guides in Christ. You have many mentors, no problem. You can talk to your uncle and your aunt, their family too. That's not a problem. But I'm your dad. You don't go to permission from uncle so-and-so about what you're doing in my household, right? So St. Paul is actually marking his territory, and that's not wrong. Um, he's, because what he's boasting in is in Christ and reminding them that he's practicing what he preached. He's not saying one thing to this group and another. He's saying, no, I say this to all the churches. This is, I'm, I'm consistent. And that this is allowed because God called me to be an apostle, which he's going to defend later on in this epistle. This is the work he gave me. And there has to be structure. I just happen to be given this job. Not because I want it, because I have to. That's why St. Paul elsewhere gets very defensive. And he's like, guys, I'm not even taking money from you. This is in its own epistle. Because I don't even take money. Even though it's my right to take money from you, I don't. I don't because you guys are mean. If I take money from you for me, you're going to treat it like I'm some jerk who's just here to make money. And he's like, so no, I'm your father and I'm, I'm, I have the authority to take money and I don't. Like he's, he's really hurt. He's very hurt by these people. Very, very hurt. Right? Of being like, my own kids have turned on me. What did I do to you? It's not like I'm living out in the Ritz here, guys. I've been shipwrecked. I've been this and this and this. So that's just so you understand the language he's speaking with. Because you can read him and be like, wow, why would he talk like that? That's not humble. This man is wounded. Like, I love the rawness of St. Paul. How human he's willing to be. Um, he's appealing them to see in him the craziness that is Paul, the convert. The former persecutor of the church. The missionary was transformed by the real Christ and saying, I have become an imitator of the Lord Christ by being crucified. So imitate me. Be imitator of me because I'm imitating the Lord Christ. He is rooted in Christ, not in himself. There's no contradiction of what he just said with what he said earlier. He's saying, I, you are mine and I am Christ and Christ is God's. Why? Jesus Christ crucified. It all comes back to that. As a servant, I'm really learning from this exchange. 
that yes, sometimes, just to, to go aside, we do need to speak firmly. I think this generation, we're so afraid of everybody being upset. We're always afraid of that. I can't, he's going to be sad. He might cry. He might have his ego wounded. What do you want? Okay, then game over. Right? Like, are you going to, like, 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 are you going to grow in a cocoon? Good luck. Someone's going to come and kick it. Have fun. Deal with it then. But it's going to happen. It's a question of time. Sometimes we have to think, speak firmly. St. Paul didn't want to talk to speak this way. He said so. And it also seems from other writings and letters that he couldn't sleep at night from the Corinthians. Um, he was in much distress because of this letter that he was writing and the whole situation at Corinth. And he's broken by it. You'll see later on that he's like head over heels joy. It's not in this epistle. When he finds out that they're okay and that they don't freak out because of the letter. He's speaking firmly and, and scared at the same time. Sometimes in the heat of contention and wrong behavior, heated exchanges sometimes do good. Sometimes they do good when done in truth and love. Done in truth and love, no problem. If the anger is for one's self, then it's egotistical. But if it's zeal for truth and life and for the other, not myself, for other, not wanting them to perish, it may in fact be holy. That is what holy zeal is. And so Paul is urging the Corinthians to think of him as a servant of Christ and a steward. And so he's saying, I'm accountable to God alone, not to humans. And that his apostolic vocation is suffering. I'm wrapping up with this, don't worry. Um, the sufferings of the Messiah. It is by doing this, by suffering as the Lord crucified, that he has become their father, even though he might look like a wreck. He's not trying to shame them, as he said, but to reprimand them for destructive behavior. That is a duty as servants to repudiate for destructive behavior. If he is their father, they should imitate him. Fathers have a duty to raise their kids. There's nothing arrogant here. And they should be ready to come into line when he arrives for the visit. So we might say, shouldn't Paul say X, Y, or Z? No, that's because of how we think today. Instead of stepping back and asking, why did Paul say that? and not applying what I think on him. But this section says something to the servants, which is all of us. Do we exemplify what we preach? Do we walk around saying what people should or shouldn't have done, but you not do it yourself? And I, honestly, like I participated in this and I hear it all the time. Someone will tell us some story about some priest who messed up or a servant who messed up or a servant who said this or a servant who said that. And what do we say? Yeah, I'm so sorry. He shouldn't have. It's not your job. It's not your job. That's not my job. To say what he or she shouldn't have done. I don't know what happened with that person. 
I'm sorry that you're in distress. How can I help you? Do not take it upon yourself to judge other servants of God, which are all Christians. That is not our job. You have no idea. I know that when I first got ordained, I remember some youth coming up to me and being like, Abuna said this and this and this to me, and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't say it out loud, but in my head, I was just like, wow, that Abuna. You know, like, thank God, like, there's this new generation of us that don't think like that. Two years later, it took some humbling to realize, <laughs> I totally agree with that Abuna now. I didn't two years ago. And I was wrong to even have judged. Regardless of whether he was right or wrong, I happened to learn a lesson of humility to find out that I was wrong. But what was my initial thought? Oh, thank God for people like, I pretended that it was this generation. What was I really saying? Thank God for people like me, dressed up in this generation. No, it wasn't this generation, it was me. We all, it's easy for us to fall into this, but we have to come back and say, who am I to judge? If you claim that someone's not a good listener, are you actually a good listener? Or do you just think you are? Or do you only like listening to people who are similar to you? And you're a good listener to those who agree with you and a terrible listener to those who don't? Are you claiming that someone else is opinionated and in so doing yourself being opinionated. St. Paul is very bold, actually, not arrogant, very bold to be able to say, I'm practicing what I preach the best of my ability. If I tell you, oh, don't worry about riches, they're useless. Meanwhile, you see me accumulating wealth at every opportunity that I have. How can I teach as a priest? And that's why Paul makes the point earlier of saying that God appointed. He, it's a Greek word, stelo, that apostolos comes from. So he's playing, he's doing a play on the words that God sent out the scent to be spectacles to the world, to become examples to the world, so that anyone who points at them won't see them but God. Are you and I that apostle? When they see us, do they see Christ crucified? Or what do they see? Glory be to God forever. Amen. That's all I got. Um, I don't know if there are, let me check if there are, it doesn't look like there's a lot of questions. I think there's only one question that I've got. Um, how can we be introspective that we do not become wise in our ways? What are ways we can search ourselves to root these things out in us, especially in a society where higher education and wisdom is exalted? That's exactly why this epistle is so relevant in my view. Um, to me, the answer is by having a spirit of discipleship. And this spirit of discipleship is even more important to me than the formal discipleship, the formal discipleship itself. It's the spirit of, I ought to learn. I ought to ask. That's what I think is lacking. 
Because if I have that as my actual spirit, everything anybody says, no matter who they are, I will be listening to learn, not listening to refute. I will not be dismissive. Right? If I have that spirit, it'll be like, it doesn't matter what I've learned. I know that I really don't know that much. That's why most very actual educated people, I'm sure you've all heard this before, are like, man, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. That's so true. And if I really believe that, then I'm going to have a spirit of asking questions instead of making assertions. I'll tell you, um, I, 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 I was, I was lucky to have good disciples in my life. I was sitting with a hermit who is a very gifted man. Um, and I mean that both in a, in, a, in a human way and in a supernatural way. And I was bothered by his behavior. Um, I felt like he was being very mean to a bunch of youth. Regularly, not like a one-off. But the night before I was in the monastery, uh, we prayed liturgy and he was like, I had never seen him that like, like tough. And so I was chilling with him at his cave and I was fighting my thoughts and I was like, I don't like it. This MMA, I was trying to practice this actually. What, it's not my business. What's it to me? What's it to me if he does this or doesn't do this? He doesn't owe me an explanation. He doesn't owe me to explain why he's being aggressive. What if he's doing it on purpose? What if he just messed up? And this is all going on in my mind and I'm trying to behave. Until finally Abuna just looks at me. I haven't said a word. And we're talking about weather and the news and we're talking about service and we're talking about all sorts of things under the sun. There's no outward indication of any kind that that warfare is going on in my mind. Until Abuna finally, as though agitated by my thoughts, just looks at me and goes, listen, sometimes I can be a little bit aggressive. Almost just say, okay, let me shut you up. Okay. And then he said, there's two things going on. And he didn't owe me this explanation. Sometimes it's this, I'm doing it intentionally, but I gotta be real. I just struggle with them sometimes. I don't like them, right? But what, why I'm saying that as a story is to say, when you want to learn, you'd be shocked at how easy it is to learn, right? Where, where, where even God supernaturally was answering to say, even in your warfare, you were trying to learn. I'll explain it to you. Because it wasn't me wanting to learn, for example, why is he like that? So I can be like, wow, he's messed up. It's like, I just don't know how to deal with this. So if I hear somebody speaking strongly about something, instead of being like, wow, ignorant, which seems to be the word that we throw at everybody now, I should instead have a view of, from where did you form this opinion? And not as a challenge, not as a challenge. With sincerity, I wanna know how you acquired this worldview because you acquired it from somewhere just like I acquired mine from somewhere else. Because almost everybody speaks with authority about things we really can't speak authoritatively about. And when you realize that, it's so much more easy to have that spirit. Like, okay, cool. What did you learn? 
right? Because maybe somebody learned something from some experience and maybe I'm not going to have the same view of them by the end of it, but I might appreciate that view more and be like, oh, I didn't realize that you're coming from here. Um, another example, sorry if I'm spending too much time on this. Anybody who wants to go, feel free to, to peace out. There's a famous priest, secular married priest, that I heard as a lay person. I, didn't, I had heard of him, but I didn't know that this was him. I heard a sermon and I judged the heck out of him. He was like, the will of God, um, sorry, I'm not gonna imitate, the will of God needs to be taken by force and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. St. Macarius prayed four years before he acted on this thought. This father said this, what does he mean? The will of God needs to be taken by force. And I was ultra super aggressive. Um, and then I would boast, this is not me biased against father so-and-so because I didn't even know it was him. And I would hide behind these self-righteous claims. Fast forward a couple of years later, I'm a novice at St. Anthony's, California, and a bunch of youth from his church come in. And I was blown away at the depths of their spirituality. Blown away. And I'm like, okay, there's something more to this guy. Because here I was judging and look at his fruit. Two years later, now I'm a priest. And I give this talk at a church. And a bunch of people are really into it. I said some very strong statements. And a week later, a bunch of them come back to me at another church saying, we have questions. You said, and had all these questions. And I was like, yeah, I, 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 that talk wasn't like the definitive talk on that subject. I was responding to this issue. And thank God, like there was a spark that came on, literally, even though I've by now been three or four years, and I'm like, oh, how do I know that's not what was going on with that Abuna who gave that sermon? He was talking to his own people in a particular context. Maybe he's dealing with a congregation who thinks that God's will comes by magic signs coming down from heaven, that their spouses show up in their rooms and they never have to lift a finger. And so he's aggressively arguing against it. And maybe his language was more extreme than I'm comfortable with, but maybe he didn't mean that. And maybe he balanced it out in another talk that I wasn't at. And I've walked away, super righteous me, judging him as though he's like the biggest moron that graced the priesthood. And thank God again for people like me who understand the depths of spirituality. I was milk. I am milk. I'm still milk. So it's having that right? Asking the question, where are you coming from? What do you mean? Why did you say that? Who taught you? Oh, thank you. I learned something new that I was maybe an extreme in this direction and I was here. And if the person is mistaken, when they see you gentle, they're more likely to be receptive to whatever it is you have to tell them because they don't feel attacked by you. And our attacking doesn't have to come by words of saying you're wrong. Our attacking can, can, can be something as simple as our as our tone or our physical stance when we approach, right? That we, we must have, sorry again, to spend so long on it. We have to have a spirit 
of discipleship. That's everything. Um, how can we better understand the talents of other servants who can properly apply their talents? Honestly, by looking for it. By looking for it. If we look for the gifts of others, oh my Lord, what a beautiful service it will be. You know, like I think as servants, we often struggle when somebody is good at something. We think it's a threat to ourselves. But if we take St. Paul's analogy, we will be like, oh my Lord, thank God there are more workers. Heaven knows we need it. So part of it is looking for the gifts, and second is recognizing it's God's building and that you're just another worker in the building. And so to you, it should be like, imagine how fast we'd get the staircase done if we had seven workers instead of one. And imagine how much better it would be if, if we didn't have to break to make the food because someone else made the food, because someone else has the gift of cooking. And oh my goodness, this part would have gone faster is by looking at everything as God's, by looking for the gift in others, everything goes by faster, right? Like when, when I was dealing, there's a period for some reason why atheism was a hot thing in LA. It's, it calmed down for a bit, but it was exciting because I learned this from example. Ambasarabian, God bless him. Ambasarabian didn't ordain, I don't know, there's almost like 70 priests now. But he didn't ordain 70 mini-me's of himself. He looked for the different gifts and let them go with it. So do you know how exciting it was to me? Even though I'm a scientist by training, when somebody was dealing with certain scientific issues where I'm like, dude, go check out Abuna Andrew Hanna. He's, he's from NASA, dog. Like, 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 whatever I think I know, look at that. It was... It was by being joyful and feeling that feeling of relief that someone knows more than me, <laughs> right? It, was, it, it should be that. So we should, we should look for the gifts in, in, in others. Um, I've been trying to make arrow prayers from Scripture. One of them is, my Lord Jesus Christ, help me to become a fool that I may become wise. Do you think this is an appropriate prayer given the context of how we discussed the verse today? I suppose this should be prayed with the intent of being wise in Christ and for his kingdom and not for his ego. Yes, spot on in Christ, right? That's what St. Paul says in multiple places, in the Lord, be in the Lord. Whether you eat or drink, let it be in the Lord. And so even your seeking of foolishness, just say, Lord, I would say maybe a more concise prayer would be like, let my Lord, you are wisdom personified. You are Sophia. Let me, let my wisdom be you. You are wisdom. And if I'm seen as a fool, if your wisdom is seen as foolishness, Lord, so be it. So be it. We are spectacles to, to men. But that's a beautiful prayer even as, as you have. Um, it seems that St. Paul not only establishes his position as a valid teacher, but he also exhorts the Corinthians to obtain a teachable spirit. I agree. However, practically speaking, being teachable seems to contradict some cultural societal standards of always taking charge of one's life. How can we reconcile this? By doing this whole epistle. Because St. Paul is challenging them saying, don't apply secular wisdom to the gospel. Subject secular wisdom to the gospel. 
So he, so St. Paul would say to you, yes, exactly, is what I think he would say to you, right? And he'd be like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because the world is telling you, be sophisticated. And that's exactly what the Corinthians are saying. They're saying, we like sophistry. And Paul, you're not that. And that's actually why he's being defensive. He's saying, I don't care to be that. He goes, because it's not wisdom of words, it's power. That's like what he goes, it's not the wisdom of your words that's going to be held up. It's going to be your power. And as he said in chapter two, if the world recognized real wisdom, they wouldn't have killed him. He actually made it become a, um, a person. So I think it's the best thing that Christians can do. And I think that we don't do enough. And we don't teach enough is always frame the question of what to do, what to say. What decision, whatever it is, whatever it is of how does a Christian respond to this situation? How does a Christian make this decision? Because it'll force you back into the framework of the gospel and will bring you back in line with the cruciform life in Christ. It will inevitably do that because you will sometimes be called to say, I will deny my will because it's wrong. It's to choose the right framing question. I hope that answered. I might not have understood the question right. Um, so feel free to, to follow up if it wasn't. Thank you. Uh, I struggle with knowing how to acknowledge my feelings when someone is being difficult. For example, a friend who is taking the frustration on me. Is it judgment to acknowledge that I'm feeling uncomfortable and overwhelmed and even feeling guilty that, I may not, that maybe I'm not being a good friend? No, it's not judgment to see it. Not judgment to see it is judgment if you evaluate that person's character as a result right so for example i might know someone's lying that doesn't make me judging the person it's me knowing that the person is lying i know that they're lying it's a fact I'm not judging the person so first of all no it's not wrong that you that you um that you may sometimes note something okay and it's also not wrong for you to feel overwhelmed. But what the cruciform life calls us to do is to say, what can I bear for the sake of my neighbor? And you might not be able to bear everything. And that's where spiritual guidance comes in to talk about, okay, well, what can I bear so that I don't try and carry something too heavy that I get hurt? Because that's dangerous, right? I might kill myself and actually if you're willing to die, great, forgive me, great. Because if you died for your neighbor, you died. But don't pretend you can die when you can't. That's the problem. Some people pretend they're dying and they're not dying. And so it becomes a very unholy offering. Because then you're tolerating while cursing the person you're tolerating. That's not Christianity. Right? And that's why there, there needs to be some guidance. But no, inevitably, you're going to sometimes feel like it's heavy. I do sometimes, too. I went to my own spiritual father on my last retreat in Egypt, and I just, like, I can't pretend that it's easier to say yes to some people than others. And I felt disgusting saying that, but I was like, I can't pretend that it's not true about me. There are some people that are just, we all know them. They're just so easy to say yes to. They're easy to, to rip off like the shirt from your back and like take it. 
Whereas there's others that we all, forgive me, we all have aversions to. Like we don't, we're not all averse to the same kind of people, but all of us prefer a certain kind of people and prefer less another kind of people. And so we have to learn how to, how to give to even those that we don't prefer. And that's how we, 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 we kill our will. Um, how do I become a better listener and how do I know when it's my turn or responsibility to speak? Um, by practicing silence, not awkward silence, right? So that the person is talking and you're just like, and you make it weird, okay? But of not being the first to offer your opinion. In fact, not offering your opinion until it's asked. Even if the person is not going to be annoyed that you give your opinion. But in practicing, no. When you're in a group, these are just exercises to try. These are not like the be all end all. When you're out with somebody, ask questions. How was your day? And ask it wanting to know. Not just as a filler. How, no, really, how was your day? Right? If they tell you something that you didn't know or that's interesting, probe more. Like, cool. Do you like your job? If that's what they start talking about. Do you, do you like it? Cool. What do you like about it? What, what's cool about it? And mean it. Have a, have a nice, like a positively curious mind, right? In a way that gives room for the other person to be able to talk. Because my rule of thumb, personally, I'm not good at doing it, I just say it, is offer others what you wish you would receive. Offer others what you wish you would receive. Many of us feel like nobody listens to us. So whatever that means to you, not being listened to, offer it to others. Right? And I think it'll, it'll end up coming naturally that you might find that you're always paying attention to people and you'll find that you can hear people without even their speech, spiritually, that will happen to you. And you will find that they can say almost nothing and you'll know everything about what is going on with them. You'll be able to hear them. You'll learn how to be a wholly different, and I mean wholly here with the WH and with an H, different kind of listener. It will happen. Um, how do we walk the walk, if you will, without this self-righteous aspect as we struggle for something without falling into the pitfall of offering milk? Um, what St. Paul is saying in, this, in these two chapters, that's a great question. What he's saying is by rooting it back in Christ. By saying that if you walk with dignity, it's because your dad is dignified. If you're rich, it's because your dad's rich. And therefore, when you speak, what you will offer won't be you, it'll be the Baba. Right? Where, where you'll be like, my dad is awesome. And you're allowed to say that. And you'll know that you're saying because you, your, your joy and your pride, you're walking the walk is Jesus's walk. It's the Lord Christ himself's walk. I think that's, that's the key. Because when we do everything in Christ, it, it, everything transforms. How do I, as a proud person, learn to suppress my voice in order to hear others, in order to learn from them? And how do you find a way to learn something from an otherwise bland or unedifying conversation? Those are great questions. So the first part um, is, is, is partially answered already of saying, don't be the first to offer it. 
Don't be the first to offer it. Let your equals, and view everyone as an equal, including your subordinate, but let your equals run the conversation. For example, as a priest, as a priest, I could have the authority to run the system however I want. I do. So I have the option of saying, should I let myself get my way because I can and I can and nobody would question it? Or should I say, servants, you're the feet on the ground more than me right now. What you feeling? What's your opinion? And letting them have their way, even if it's not the idea that I prefer. Or saying, if it's not wrong, why say no? Why say no? Right? I'm saying, okay, yeah, let's try that. Um, let's say at work, for example, um, do I try and make my opinion run the show? Whether it's in policy, whether it's in anything really. Like, or instead, am I making sure that everybody has a platform to speak and taking it in? It's a mentality more than it is an action, right? So I'm saying, let's practice, practice the listening. And I would say, identify what somebody says that's right or good and say it out loud. And that will help drill it even more. I was saying that was a great idea and meaning it, where you're not just like doing this fake team building exercise where we're throwing out compliments because I was supposed to give four in a day. No, mean it, right? Be like, wow, that was, that was insightful and mean it. I did not consider that angle. Thank you, right? That'll, it'll get in the habit because what you'll see is that not just people are, you change, people become happy around you and comfortable around you and feel safe around you. And then you'll be excited to do it. And not only be excited to do it, you may even find that everyone else is doing it too. Like that's how doing good works. It makes more good happen. It's, it's amazing. Um, if a kid in the ministry is showing an obnoxious behavior to the point that I cannot stand him, um, and I do not find compassion in my heart toward him. Also, I feel he should be punished all the time to walk the line. Should I punish him despite how I feel about him or not to discipline him until I build compassion and love in my heart for him? Thank you for your honesty. Um, for real, like, thank you for that, that honesty. And I felt that before, like, honestly, where I'm like, I don't like this guy. So number one is, is good that you're being real and that you can identify it, okay? What I would suggest, because sometimes I don't know that in the moment you're going to have tons of compassion and love for him, right? So what I would say is hand off that person, go to another servant and say, right now I'm going to be chastising in anger. I'm not going to be chastising in love. Um, can, can you handle this one? Because I don't want to hurt him. And you should care about not hurting him. That's God's kid. Right? Again, if we're going to remember that this is God's ministry, not mine, then woe to me if I harm God's kid. It'll be better for me that I take a millstone and tie it around my neck and throw myself in the lake, said Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's scary. So go to somebody else and be like, I don't know that I can handle this. 
I'm afraid of wounding this person. Second, after that, is to sit down with yourself and say, what is it actually that's upsetting me? Because if any one of us is upset, it means we feel entitled to something. Comfort, peace, opinion, it's gonna be something. Identify what it is you feel entitled to. Dignity, respect, mood, style of joking, whatever it is, there's something you think you have a right to, me too. And that's what we have to crucify ourselves to and say, I don't have the right. Number two is to say, how do I die? Because even if I don't have the right, I may have a preference. How do I die to that? And three is to then go back and try and reconcile, find a way to like them to the best of your ability. There may be times where you won't get close to the person and that's okay. You're not called to be besties with everybody. But at least what you need to get rid of through those three and specifically through guidance, um, because your, your spiritual guide can help diagnose you with what is specifically going on in you, is that I have to not view him with animosity or negativity. That part needs to be uprooted. Having a preference for them? No, you don't. You don't need to have an eventual preference for that person. You just need to love them. Um, if that wasn't really answering what you meant, please follow up. Uh, last one that I got, and then I'm going to end because I know liturgy is about to start um, also at uh, SMSM. Um, can you give an example in a previous Bible study of you not speaking in the servants' meeting and you being encouraged to speak up? How does this type of scenario fit in with being last to speak? Um, oh, sorry, I gave an example. I don't remember what the example was right now. Can you jog my memory? Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. It was a servants meeting. I do remember. Yes. So, and I, I actually almost brought up that example again. So thank you for reminding me. The example I think you're referring to was I was intentionally being quiet at a servants meeting. And then my priest was like, who do you think you are? That's what the meeting is for. So you should speak. Um, perfect. Okay. Um, yes. And so the difference, and that's why I was saying in the silence thing of where appropriate of not having a fake rule of silence where it doesn't make sense if like for example if i'm sitting with a friend and he says i'm coming to you because i've got this problem and he's already prefaced to that and then he tells me his story and then i awkwardly sit there and just be like waiting for him to ask waiting for him to ask the guy is going to be like I, I i told you i have a problem like do i need to spell it out for you like i, I i'm coming to you because i want your opinion Right? So that's I mean, like, don't make it awkward. Right? But versus you're in a group and everyone's talking, don't offer it. And that's for somebody who's saying, I want to learn how to be a disciple. Right? And, and, and I would say, especially as servants, um, this is hard. Like, this is hard. It's not easy. It's very hard to submit our own opinions and ideas to someone else's. Very hard. Like, I really mean that. So I think it's, it's also helpful for us sometimes to say, I'm going to intentionally not talk. And I want to see the fruit of this work. And I'm going to want it to work. I'm not going to try and kibosh it. I'm going to make it work. Um, one of the servants on here um, 
we serve together um, a group called Youth Think at our home church. There are so many things today that I look back at and I say, if somebody asked me, should we do this today? I would be a hell no. 100% I would say no. And God worked incredible things through it. Because we were, what St. Paul is talking about here, we were of one mind and one will. Like he said in chapter one, where in the same verse in three different ways, he said, be one, be one, be one, be one. We were one. And there are things today that I think many of us would think are psychotic to do that God worked miracles through because the, the laying down of the will, this is a good note to end on, the, the cruciform life of love is the source of resurrection. It's that simple. So I'll end on that note. Thank you, guys. Um, we will... Um, Thank you. Um, we will pick up God willing uh, next week, chapter five and six. That, that was the end of this section. Um, and we'll just end with a prayer um, and, and head out. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We ask your Lord to hear us the intercessions and prayers of your Holy Mother, the Theotokos, St. Mary, the great Abba Antony, St. Pocros, and Mary Mina, St. Mina, the wonder worker, we pray with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespasses against us. Lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen.